This is India Ari, and this is my podcast, Songversation, where I choose one of my songs and I riff on that song, simple as that. But it's never really simple because all of my songs have a life of their own. And in Songversation, I end up sharing my personal stories and life philosophies with the intention that you will hear yourself in my story. So without you, there is no Songversation. So thank you for being here and let's get into it. This is episode 14, Songversation, The Worthy Tour. This is episode 14, Songversation, The Worthy Tour. And I'm doing this because the tour just ended seven days ago and I need some place to put all these feelings. So if you've been listening to the podcast, you know I have not done an episode in months. That was not my intention. I actually have two episodes sitting in my laptop that I can't get out. The three-person team that I had who was supposed to be helping me get it together, they all got busy and fell out. So um, I was on tour and had no support. So the episodes are sitting right in my laptop. In fact, there's an episode that I did from Charlotte, North Carolina, just in my laptop waiting to be posted. So that's going to take a minute. But in the meanwhile... I moved my podcast back to Anchor because it just works. I love to be able to hear your voices and to get your questions and to hear your thoughts. And really, that's the sweet spot of a conversation is us to be able to be in two-way communication. So it's easier here. And again, if you've been listening to this podcast, you have heard me say that I signed a record deal 20 years ago and I promised myself no more long-term deals, especially for creative endeavors. So in the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear a mix of podcasts coming from my laptop and some coming from Anchor because that's just what it is. So today I'm on vacation and I'm processing everything. And I learned so much about myself from doing these podcasts and I'm just making sense of a dream come true, really. So welcome to Songversation, The Worthy Tour. All right, let's get into it. So much to say. I don't really even know what I'm going to say, but there's so much that wants to be said. So here we go. Okay, so I want to start by talking about the Worthy Tour. I am on vacation right now, sitting on a couch, staring out a window. The tour ended seven days ago. And I must say that it was enjoyable, truly, fulfilling, truly, and also exhausting, truly. The tour went from April 30th to June 9th, which when I got home, I counted the dates on my calendar and saw that it was 40 days. I don't know that I would have done that if I knew in advance what I was really getting into, but it was time to go on tour and I'm glad I did it. The tour started getting really hard right around the beginning of June. So 30 days in, I just... We hit a lot of, um, uh, I don't know the word, snags is too small a word. We hit a lot of uh, hurdles that I had to jump over. And so um, expending my energy, exerting my energy in that way, took energy away from everything else that I had to do, but I still had to do everything else. So I was doing a lot of things without the level of energy that I needed. 
And so when the tour ended on June 9th, I was relieved and very happy and very accomplished, but also very tired. And I think my energy levels were below zero. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm having a rare experience because tour, I think, is like that. Tour, I know, is like that for a lot of people that I know. Um, and some people tour all year and they love moving around and they, they're fine. The sex, drugs and rock and roll paradigm is real. So some people are just out here, you know, on uppers and downers and drugs and stuff. And it makes it work for them. Um, for me, I'm a person who has a hard time with tour. Having said that, I had the best and easiest time on this tour that I've ever had on any tour. <laughs> so that I'm celebrating. And that's actually why I'm doing this podcast, because I have energy to do it. In the past, I would come off the road and just really break down for months, months, and sometimes even years, for real, actual years. And so the fact that I'm back on my feet and in my right mind, as my great grandma would say, um, a week after the tour has ended is a celebration. And I have a lot that I want to tell you about the tour, so let's get into that. The Worthy Tour was 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know any other way to ground myself in the reality of something that big other than to write. And so instead of writing, this time I've decided to do a podcast about this 40 days and 40 nights. I, as always, have no idea what I'm actually about to say, but there's a lot in my heart that wants to be said. And so... One of my friends asked me what I thought was a really poignant question. He said, what's different for you now that you're going to go on tour and think this is going to be better? And what's different is me. I've grown into a woman, a woman who knows herself, who's willing, who's willing to accept the struggle and the glory of being authentic and who's willing to just be myself. And... Um, I know when I need to stop. I know when I need to say yes. I know when I need to push through and just deal with something. I know when I need to stretch. I know when I need water. I know when I need quiet. I know when I need movement. I know when I need to cuss somebody out. I know me. And so in the past, I forget the touring part as a person and as a young woman was so I think I was a people pleaser, but also I was a person who just wanted harmony for the simplicity that I feel harmony would bring. But what I've learned is that harmony at all cost is not harmony. And so now sometimes the shit just needs to hit the fan. And other times I just need to be quiet. And so having come into my power has freed up so much energy for me. So, so much energetic space in my head and in my heart that touring really was quite a joy. It was, the first half was easy. The second half got difficult, but all of it was a joy. And I had some hard days, mostly having to do with logistics and hotels as my travel agent decided to quit in the first week of the tour. 
So I'm rolling my eyes really hard right now because I do not think that she dealt with that in a proper way. But I couldn't do anything about that. So we moved forward with our tour and the hotels ended up being really being an issue. So <laughs> there's that. Um, the different regions of the country really carry different energies. And as a person who's sensitive to the world around me, I had very different experiences of each of the regions of the country. So we started in Florida and um, went to the Carolinas, Durham, Charlotte, Richmond, Atlanta, Memphis, Alabama, and the South, it was just very warm. The shows were mostly black people and they were emotional and lively. And I mean, I was so worried about this tour because I just didn't know how I was gonna structure it. I knew that I had a lot on my heart that I wanted to say and that I wanted to share and that I wanted to teach and that I wanted to bring to the stage, but I didn't know how to structure it. And so I was having these reoccurring nightmares of not being able to get to the stage. Like I'd be backstage trying to get dressed and I couldn't, or I'd be trying to find something and I couldn't find it, or I'd get on stage and try to show off and literally fall on my face. Like I was having these reoccurring nightmares and I don't have reoccurring nightmares. I, I dream and often I have nightmares on occasion, but I very rarely ever have reoccurring ones. And this one just kept coming, coming. And so I decided that the dream was telling me that I needed to get grounded and to just be myself. And so that's what I did. I didn't try to show off or do anything fancy. I just took the time to get grounded, which for me meant um, really building from the ground up. You know, as a creative person, often I feel like we, a lot of creative people I think do this, we just want to create something so we think we can pull it out of thin air. And we think that the creative process is magic, and it is, but it's rooted in something. And so I've learned over this last, maybe very recently, five, six, seven years, that if I ground myself first, really in like the practicalities of life, and then build up from there, when I am in that floaty, up in the air creative space, it has a place to land. And so what I mean by grounding myself is I bought myself to my favorite city, and I bought a deck of index cards and I wrote down all the songs that I would potentially want to sing and how I would want to structure them. And I put the cards on a table and moved them around for days and days, maybe like a week. And I started seeing a pattern emerge and I brought that rough pattern to rehearsals. And then I brought that rough pattern to stage. Now, rehearsals is a whole nother conversation because I have a new band, almost completely new. I have a new musical director, which is a big. I had the same musical director for 20 years. We're not working together anymore. I had the same guitar player for over 20 years, Blue Miller. Those of you who listen to this podcast will know that Blue made his transition back in August of 2018. I'm still working through that. Um, I have two new background singers. My background singers, one was Shantae Can, who is now a professional uh, billboard charting jazz singer. Um, and also my other background singer, Amitria Doc, who's now a world-renowned vocal coach. Um, they both left the band. So I had two new singers, musical director, guitar player. And then something wonderful happened. My bass player came back. 
I've known my bass player longer than I've known anybody in my musical life. I met him in 1996 and we had a falling out in 2014. I don't know if I've talked about Australia on this podcast. I can't remember what happened. I can't remember everything we discussed in season one, but I had a horrible experience touring in Australia. And one of the things that happened during that time was Kari and I, we stopped being friends, really. We didn't talk for several years. And then Blue passed away in August, and he came for the funeral, and he looked at me and said, I really came to see you. And I stopped myself from crying because I didn't want to get carried away. But I could have just sobbed in that moment because I missed my friend Kari. And so we're all back together again, and he's back in the band. Um, five years after we split, so Kari's back, and I have the same drummer, Charles Lamont Garner. We started working together in 2013. He's a joy. And so I have Kari and Joel as my old crew, and I have Gene Moore, Maya Dyson and my background singers, Joel Cross as my new guitar player, and Kevin Randolph as my new musical director. Also, I have a new assistant, a new road manager, I have my same sound man my whole career, Ollie Cotton. And so I said all of that to say that I really needed to get grounded. So I took this grounded vision of what my show could be into these rehearsals with the whole new band. We all had to learn the songs and learn how to play together. We had to learn how to play together. Then we had to learn the songs. And then we had to learn um, how to bring the songs to the stage. And so all this is happening at the same time. And then I have a dental emergency and I have a root canal. And then I shoot the Steady Love video with David Banner, which was a freaking joy. I got to make out with him all day. That was awesome. Um, and then we left for tour. All this happened in eight, the span of eight days. I went to, oh, 15 days. I went to my favorite city and got the show together with those index cards on April 15th. April 14th and April 30th, I was on the bus headed out for tour with the root canal done and a music video done and an 85% new band and new crew. So we get out on tour. So let's backtrack for a second. That's why I was having the nightmares because before I got grounded, before I got into rehearsals, I was just like, what the heck am I going to do? <laughs> what am I doing? But once I got grounded, the nightmares actually stopped. But I was still nervous about what was going to happen. So we get out on tour. Our first date is in Jacksonville, Florida. And it's a success, a huge success. M my mother pulls out this super intricate, very detailed, beautiful, white stage outfit that's like this long cargo jacket with the hood and strings, but it's like a cargo jacket on glamour. This is so dope. And then the, the skirt that matches and that was the night before the show. And for me, that was auspicious because it was like, all right, here we go. We're about to do this. And I got a cute haircut that was super cute. I didn't know what I was going to do with my hair. And I got this haircut that was working and my outfit was working and everything was working. And the tour starts. 
I get on stage, I sing the intro, and then I start singing I Am Not My Hair. And the audience sang the song to me so loud that I just stopped singing and walked to the front of the stage. And that night was... Uh, what's the word? It was elevated. It, like, it was almost like it was glowing. I'm going to put some footage up of the show and that moment on my Instagram page because it caught me off guard how warmly and with how much love I was received with. The last time I toured in 2013, every time I tour, I get so much love from the audience because people want to be there. They're not going to be there if they don't want to. That's what a show is. You know, you buy a ticket and you go. But this show felt like I had entered a new phase of my career and my relationship to my audience. And every show thereafter continued to be exactly that. It was so much love. It was like effervescent, incandescent. Like I felt like we were all glowing. Um, and in true fellowship, high spiritual energy, palpable um, joy and, and um, focus. People were so interested in everything that came across the screen and everything that I was saying and all the songs. It was just Jacksonville, Florida was indicative of what the tour would go on to be. And it was a joy. Now, going back to these regions of the country conversation, the South was... Um, it was the South. It was very black. It was very warm. It was very um, joyful and fun and really almost religious experience-like, like, like um, a lot of profound spiritual energy in the room. And one of my favorite moments of the tour was going to Atlanta. It was only our third show, which I was a little bit nervous about that because the show gets better as you go on. And I don't want to go to my hometown and not have a polished show. And we were still in the process of polishing it. So, but whatever, you know, it, it was all beautiful. So we get to Atlanta. It's our third show. And my niece, Harper Marie, comes on stage. And it turns out she's a performer. Imagine that. And she is in dance class and she's learning this dance to the song, whoa, whoa, you've got the best of my love, <laughs> right? So I call her on stage and ask her to do her dance. And she's just like any kid. She comes out and she looks nervous and she's really quiet and doesn't know what to do. And then the band starts playing her song and she shifted into high gear and she smashed. <laughs> it was so cute. And then I said, tell the audience, thank you. And her little voice, thank you. It was so sweet. A memory that I'm never going to forget and I hope she never forgets. My brother told me that she chose a special dress and had been talking about it for two weeks. <laughs> so it was really special. I loved sharing the stage with her and I hope as an old lady I'll get to share the stage with her. I guess we'll see. Um, gosh, I wish I could go into detail about all these shows. I, I, I'm not going to spend this conversation worthy to or doing that. But I will say that they were all so special, so heightened and surprising. I just didn't know that that's how it was going to be received. And so doing those few shows in the South was a sign that we were about to have a really good time. And 
So let's uh, let's get into more about how this tour unfolded in, in this next segment. So the different regions of the country. We were in the South, the Deep South, and then we moved over to Texas, which really did, it is the South, but it also, it felt different than um, being in the Southeast. We did Houston, Dallas, and Austin. And Houston was one of the defining moments of the tour for me. Because of my background singer, Gene Moore Jr. Actually, he is a Motown gospel recording artist. He goes by the name Gene Moore. You can look him up. He's just releasing his second album. He just released a video for his second project. His albums are on iTunes. The first one is called The Future. His second album coming out in August is called Tunnel Vision. And I know all this information so well because I said it every night on tour. And I said it every night on tour because Gene deserves it. He literally is one of the most um, technically sound, spiritually potent vocalists I've ever known or encountered. He's great. He is a great. And some of you may know him from my Christmas album. We sang Mary Did You Know together. And so when it was time for me to go on tour, as I told you in the last segment, I was building a new team, a new band and team. Um, I asked Gene if he would go on tour with me. I thought he was going to say no, but I thought it was worth the ask. And he said yes. And obviously I thought he was going to say no, because when I met him, he was signed to Motown, but he hadn't released a project yet. And then now he's a Motown recording artist. So... um, I thought he would say no. And he said yes. And so I wanted to honor him every night because because he's a great. And having a great on stage with me is is a beautiful thing. So anyway, we get to Houston. And I forget that that's Gene's hometown. Gene opened a few of the shows on tour. He requested that when I asked if he would sing background with me. He requested to open some of the shows, which was a very glad and easy yes for me. Forgive that noise. I'm on vacation and somebody's making noise outside. Anyway, um, having him open some of the shows was a very glad and easy yes for me. But I also had some of my other friends open some of the shows. I had... um, in addition to Gene, I started the first shows was or opened by Shantae Can, who was my background singer for, I think, like 12 or 15 years. We were together a long time. You all may know Shantae. You can look her up on iTunes as well. She's a Billboard charting jazz singer. Just released her second album. I had Jameson Ross, who, again, I do not use this lightly, is a great. I know I said it about Gene. I do not say this about a lot of people. But Jamison Ross is a great. He's going to be a great. Mark my words. Um, you can find him on iTunes as well. He's a Grammy nominated for a jazz vocal album. He's wonderful. And honestly, I asked Jamison to open the show because I just wanted to hear him sing. I wanted to see him. And I'm glad I did because he was inspiring. After watching his show on the nights when he would open, it made me want to be better. 
So at, at its best, I think that's what an opening act is. Um, we also had Melissa Polinar, who is an independent artist who really, in my mind, deserves to be signed. But also being signed is some is bullshit. Excuse my language. It helps you to be heard, but it's also bullshit because it's there's so much politics involved that I'm I'm personally glad she's independent. I know she could get a lot from being signed. I'm just saying. And, she, and so I support her because she is, let's say, professional level and she could be signed by the quality of her work. That's what I meant to say. She's she's really actually quite perfect. <laughs> she plays great guitar. She sings and it's great. Her songs, they're great. She's quite perfect. And so we've been friends for a long time. I actually did a duet with her. Um, we did a remake of the Sting and Stevie Wonder duet called, um, shoot, what was it called? I'm going to come back with you. I'm hearing the song in my head, but I don't want to sing the whole thing here. I'm going to come back to you with the title of that song. Matter of fact, I'm going to put that on the Instagram page as well so you can hear Melissa and I singing together. Also, I had a friend who you may know from The Voice. He won the first season of The Voice. His name is Javier Colon. You may also know him because we came out with major label projects around the same year. He had a song called Crazy. I get a little bit crazy, baby, every time you call my name. That, that's Javier. And so I asked him to do the Northeast dates because he lives up there and I always wanted to do something with him. Um, I also had two acts who did just one show a piece. One was Carvina Jones, who I heard of from Instagram, and she's just a really special singer. She's a really special singer. She has a, she knows her way around the guitar in a really special way. And I heard her do a cover of Ready for Love, and I told her to let me know if I could support her in any way. She asked to open a show. So she opened the show in New Orleans, and she was freaking fabulous. And then also Resound. 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 <laughs> Forgive me for saying that the wrong way. Resound. They are a three-person gospel acapella group, and they are special. And I just, I said the same thing to them. If there's any way I can support you, let me know. And so we had them open the show in Virginia where they're based, and they were wonderful too. And so um, these are my opening acts for the tour. I hope you took those names down. I'll put it on the Instagram page so you can look all them up. They were very carefully chosen, very carefully curated. So if you want to know what I, I'm loving, these are who I'm loving. So back to Gene Moore. We got to Houston and I forgot that that was his hometown because they said we were in Sugarland. I don't know that Sugarland is outside of Houston. I really I didn't know where I was. In fact, one of my best friends in the world lives in Houston and she was going to come see the show. And I kept thinking, OK, I'll see you tomorrow because I didn't know Sugarland was in Houston. So um, when I got on stage, I decided that I was going to just feature Gene because it was his hometown. It's my show. And I always love to hear him sing. And so we opened the show with the song I Am Light. And I tell the audience about Gene. And I say, we're going to feature him tonight. And he starts singing on I Am Light. And he was going through some personal family stuff. And Gene is a gospel artist, but he's also a country boy. And he's a, um, a preacher and a church boy. 
And so he starts to go to that place of testimony while he's singing I Am Light. And it started off just really beautiful. And then he started speaking to me, telling me no matter what was going on with me and who was trying to hold me back to remember to never stop. But he's singing all of this. And then the whole band starts crying, all of us. And then the audience is crying. And then at some point, there are people coming down the aisle with their hands in the air like church. Because Gene has the power to solicit that response. And that was the first song of the show. And it was so necessary because Houston was interesting. A lot of people were coming in late. And so, again, going back to this regions of the country and how they're all different. I don't know what it was about. I don't know if Houston is a town just of a lot of great artists and they are kind of lackadaisical about how they move or what. I don't know what that was. But a lot of people were coming in late, just kind of like moseying in. And it felt like they were not really there to be a part of the moment. And also the other thing, you know, Texas is huge and the venues were huge, too. It felt like we were just in these really big spaces, like they felt like the venues felt like malls, like really high ceilings, really long hallways, really big stages, really a lot of seats. It was a lot. And so having all the big space and the energy bouncing all over the place and the audience kind of like, all right, well, show me what you got. It was interesting. And so when Gene bought that energy into the room, the whole rest of the show elevated from there. And we started at the most elevated place and the show went up from there. And it was such a powerful, special, emotional night. And at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the show, Gene looked at me and said, I don't even know what happened. And I said, I don't know what happened either, but we needed you tonight, Pastor. And I call him Pastor. He calls me coach because we toured together for my Christmas tour. It was 10 shows. It was 10 shows in 10 days. It was fast. It was a lot of work. and It was short. So we did 10 shows in 10 days for the release of the Christmas album. And Gene just kept saying that it was important to be there with me and to watch how I worked. And so he's been calling me coach ever since then. And I started calling him pastor because he just brings that energy into a room. And so I said, I don't know what happened either, but we needed it, pastor. And he, Gene brought that show to life. And then we went to Dallas and it was different, again, a different energy, but the venue was huge. The space was huge. The ceilings were high, it was a lot, but people were more attentive. I would say more respectful. <laughs> they weren't coming in late and stuff. We had a beautiful show there too. Um, I featured Gene again, but I told him, don't take us out. <laughs> I said, don't take us out, Gene. But then I, <clears throat> I caught myself and I said, but do what you gotta do. You know, let yourself flow. And he did, and it was beautiful. It wasn't like Houston. It didn't need to be, but it was beautiful. It was powerful. It was potent. And then we got to Austin, and it was like we were in a whole nother country, literally. It was almost like being in Amsterdam or someplace really liberal. There was a lot of water, a lot of different types of um, people. The way they looked, it was very liberal. It felt like a party town. And the show was crunk. Oh my God, it was crunk. People, we had 
we have both Melissa Polinar and Jamison Ross. And I'm telling you, them two together, if you're a music lover and a lover of vocals and songwriting, you would have been floating by the time Jamison got off stage. It, they, it was a wonderful opening duo. And then I came on and the audience was so loud and so engaged and so involved and so open and so excited and in such a party mode. There was a girl who came down to the front of the stage and was dancing and the security sent her back to her seat, which I, I think was the right thing to do. But then I got to the song Ready for Love and I asked her if she would come down and dance. And it was just so lovely. And I do a thing where I, I spray um, essential oils mixed in water just over my body and around me to clear my energy and to also clear my bronchioles and to bring like mental clarity, just depending on the oil. Like I love rosemary oil for tour because it, it does all that. It does all of that. It's almost like perfect for me for tour. It works on your mental clarity. It just helps you feel alert. It works on the bronchioles, like by opening up your your lungs and your bronchial tubes. I don't know if that's the right word, but it just makes your chest feel open. And also spiritually, it's known to clear energy. And so I use a spray bottle and I spray it like all over the top of me. I let it fall down on me like real fine mist. And I tell everyone around me, if you don't want to get sprayed with rosemary oil, move. That's a grown woman in me. I used to hide in a room and spray myself and come out and be afraid of what people were going to say and all this stuff. But I'm a grown woman now. And I say anybody who doesn't want to smell like rosemary move. And the funniest thing, everybody rushes in to get sprayed. Even my security guy, like super alpha male guy, moves close to me so we can all get sprayed with rosemary water. So funny. So anyway, I said all that to say. In Austin, I'm like, these are my people. I could tell they were my people. So I went out on stage and sprayed the water on stage. I'm going to show you a video of that, too. I'll put that on my Instagram page. And so I gave everything at that show because I knew I was going to have three days off following that show. Three hard-earned days. Up to that point, we'd had one day off here and there. Everything else had been consecutive shows. And I was tired. My voice was getting tired. But the audience was so lively that I gave everything I had in um, anticipation of a rest. And then storms come through Texas. And we get stuck in the airport for six hours. And I'm exhausted. We didn't go to bed that night either because we were going to take a very early flight out so we could just get to Chicago and rest. And so on no sleep. I'm also still trying to edit the video to com completion. We go to the airport, flight's delayed, so we go back to the hotel. I don't sleep. I work on editing the Steady Love video. We go back to the airport. We finally get to Chicago. We're supposed to be there at 11 a.m. We get there at 7 p.m. And that begins the hard part of the tour. So let's get into that <laughs> in this next segment. So about 20 days into the tour, it starts getting hard. April 30th to May 20th, we go from Jacksonville, Florida to Austin, Texas. Um, and before I start talking about the Midwest, I want to just give a shout out to New Orleans. That show was powerful as well. I mean, they, they really all were special. I could talk about all of them. But I'm not sure I mentioned just how live New Orleans was. Like, 
and that's another thing about just as you travel and you're sensitive to different energies, you can tell just different places feel different. So Jacksonville was a party town. Definitely. New Orleans was a party town. Austin, Texas was a party town. I would say that Durham, Charleston, Charlotte, Richmond were more like um, historical black towns where black people love black culture. It just felt different. Asheville was very liberal. It was like hippies and star children who were at a festival outside. Birmingham was just black and southern, less sophisticated than, say, a Durham or a Charleston, but really um, open and into, into blackness and black music and emotional. It was really beautiful. New Orleans was just crunk and alive and ready to party and ready to feel. It was really special. And so April 30th to May 20th, we go from Jacksonville to Austin. So from the 21st, the 21st and the 22nd are supposed to be a quick travel day. And then the 21st off and then the 22nd off. And I needed it because I was getting tired and especially my voice was getting tired. And so our plan was to get up to Chicago and hub out of Chicago for the next five shows. So we would go from Chicago to Milwaukee, Chicago to Hammond, Indiana, Chicago to Detroit, Chicago to Carmel, Indiana, Chicago to Louisville, Kentucky. And this was supposed to be restful so we didn't have to pack all of our stuff and leave for every show. We would do the show and take the bus back to Chicago. I was excited about this because I needed some rest. And it, I wasn't just excited about this. This was by design that we would get about halfway into the tour and it would, while still doing shows, we'd have some rest. So from Jacksonville, which is April 30th, to Louisville, Kentucky, which is May 30th, that would be a full month. And these last five shows of a full month would be a little bit more restful. All right. Didn't happen that way. <laughs> I don't know if anybody remembers, but there were all these storms that hit the South and um, on May 20th. There were like 21 tornadoes or something like that. And we had rain in Austin, but that was about it. I think there were some tornado warnings or something, but I don't remember anything really being crazy. Then we get to the airport the band and everybody is gone on the bus, they're asleep and riding the bus and getting their rest. And we're stuck in the airport. Six hours, like I told you. So, supposed to get to Chicago at 11 a.m., finally get there at 7 p.m., 6 or 7. Get to the hotel, the room's not suitable because like I told you in a previous segment, two segments ago, the travel agent decides to quit while we're on tour. So I have a new agent. She doesn't know what I like. She puts us in a hotel. It's not cute. Also, it was a hotel that had that has a very prestigious name. Rooms were not cute. They weren't clean to, to the standard of the name. And I'm going to be there for a lot of days. I'm going to be there for 10 days from the nine days, the 21st to the 30th. So I needed to be a nice space. Get there doesn't work. I'm in Chicago in an Uber looking at hotels while my voice is tired. After being on tour for 20 days, after being in the airport for six hours, I'm in an Uber looking at hotels. 
I finally decide on the Four Seasons. I get there. The other hotel calls me and says, you can have the presidential suite if you stay at our hotel for the night. Again, I'm going to be in Chicago for nine days. I don't want your room for the night. I need a place to post up. And also, I want to go to sleep at this point because I've been up. Let me make this clear, too. I'd been up since 11 a.m. May 20th. It is now 7, 8, 9 p.m. May 21st. I've been up the whole time and I had a show and a flight. Okay, so I don't want the presidential suite. I want a room and I want to go to sleep. And they say, okay, you can have this room for your whole stay. Yay. I get into the room. It's gorgeous. The presidential suite is gorgeous. Then the next morning, after an unannounced maintenance of the fired uh, smoke detectors, Yes, the guy comes in my room for 15 minutes. I'm asleep. He's in my room for 15 minutes. Then the room calls me and tells me, no, I can't stay. And that I need to move back to another room, which was the kind of room I didn't want in the first place. Needless to say, I'm tired and I'm pissed. Pissed. So I go back to the Four Seasons, which is wonderful. They give me a reduced rate, which is wonderful. And my team has to move hotels as well, which I'm, excuse my language, fucking mad I'm fucking mad, just pissed because that's cold. You don't do that to a person. In fact, I'm still in um, conversations with them about how they're going to reimburse me for my time. So we have Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I have to move hotels that day and then drive to Milwaukee and then do the show. And this is the day that we premiere the Steady Love video, so I'm excited. But let me tell you a little secret that I've learned about myself. When you see me come on stage in jeans, then you know I'm tired. I don't want to drag a big dress. I don't want a big coat. I don't want no girdle. I don't want no nothing. So when we got to Milwaukee, I wore a head wrap, jeans, heels on stage. We premiere the Steady Love video. It's awesome. I sit down on the stage with the the audience and watch it. It was so fun. And the, the venue was a casino, so it smelled like smoke. So we all had to maneuver around that. But it ended up being a wonderful show. We had Hammond, Indiana, which is right outside of um, Chicago, which was so fun. The audience was so attentive, so lovely, so open, so everything. And I wore a red dress with a print shirt. When you start seeing me change clothes, you know I'm getting tired. It was also joy because I got to see Jonathan McReynolds, my boo. Um, he came to the show. Then we had Detroit, which is where my family is. I got to see some of my family. My voice was really tired by that point. A doctor came to the show to see me because um, I just didn't know how my voice was going to do. And then we were supposed to have Carmel, Indiana. Um which is the Indianapolis area. Sorry, I had to think long about that. It's the Indianapolis area, and they were just had the Indy 500, and so the town was in party mode, and everybody was so excited to see me. And I know that because they were pissed when I didn't come. I ended up having to take that show off because my voice. I didn't get any rest. I was super tired, and my voice. And so I took the 27th to... 
the 30th off. I was on vocal rest. I was sleeping a lot in my nice room at the Four Seasons in Chicago. Thank you again, Four Seasons. And then we picked back up in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I'm going to put some pictures of this on my Instagram as well. When you see me in Louisville, I have on a cute summer dress from one of my favorite clothing companies. It's based in Bali. They're called Biasa. But I just had on a white dress, worthy t-shirt, no girdle, no heels. I wore my red flip-flops on stage. And I just came out and sang. And I have to be honest, I was afraid for that show because I didn't know if my voice was going to wake up. But it did, and the show was wonderful. And we continued on from there. Um, Louisville was the last show in that region of the country. And we went from Louisville up to New Haven, Connecticut. So let's talk about that region of the country in this next segment. So this region of the country thing, one thing I've learned now that when I do my next big tour, I will take into account is when it's time to go to a new region, I'm going to give myself a little bit of time. So we went May 30th to June 1st. We went from Louisville, Kentucky to New Haven, Connecticut. Um, it was a tough travel day. We didn't go to sleep after the show. I'm still recovering from having to cancel the show in Carmel, Indiana. You know, it's a lot going on. But I'm excited because Javier Colon is joining the tour and I love him so much. And so I'm putting some of my energy on that. And so, uh, and he did not disappoint. We met in New Haven once again. When I got to New Haven, I wore jeans on stage and heels and just, just tired, you know, like I'm just tired. But also I want to put a video up of a singing Brandy, who you know is my boo, her song, He Is. We sang it at Soundcheck and we shot a little video. And the reason why this matters to this conversation is because when I start getting tired or things start getting in a rut, the best thing I know to refresh my interest and to refresh my energy is to start adding new things to the show. So I told the band, let's think of some covers. Y'all tell me what y'all want to do. We did not end up adding covers to the show, but we did end up adding some songs to the show that we weren't doing um, before then. And in fact, in Louisville, Kentucky, it was my first time doing Beautiful Surprise in the in the tour. And I learned something about my audience that Beautiful Surprise is one of you all's favorite songs. I did not know that. People asked me about it a lot during the VIP experience, which I want to get into that too. But people asked me about that song a lot and I decided because that was that first show back after having to cancel the show and I'm wearing my white summer dress and I'm tired, we add beautiful surprise to the show and it's, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful surprise. And so we get to uh, New Haven, Connecticut and that sound check, my wonderful um, musical director starts playing He Is by Brandy, which is one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite songs, period. In fact, that song made me break up with someone once because I, I realized if it doesn't feel like this, he ain't it. But I also, um, it made me choose someone once because it made me realize he makes me feel like that. So um, we sang it at Soundcheck. We did not add it to the show. I didn't feel like the region of the country we were in would understand. I think if we had added that show down in the South, it would have been freaking smash. But up in the Northeast, I don't think it was the right thing to do. So we didn't. But Javier and I 
share a love of James Taylor. And so we added a James Taylor song to the show. I can't remember. I think we did Shower the People. Javier is such a great singer and a great guitar player. So we did that. And again, you see me out there with my jeans on. And then the, the next day is Troy, New York. I would say this is one of the most unique shows of the tour because it was in a historical bank. And Troy, New York is a very small town, a historical town. And the venue had no air. And it was hot. You hear me? So it was a good thing that I wanted to wear my white dress because my other stage clothes would have been way too much in that room. And in fact, I took my boots off in the middle of the show and put my flip-flops back on. And we had a show that I would say was very unique. We did some songs that we hadn't done through the tour. We added Hour of Love. We added Beautiful Surprise. We added a couple of other things. But the show was just so potent. This is going to sound ridiculous and a little bit dangerous, but I don't mean it the way it sounds. But there were two moments in that show where I felt like I was going to faint. Not from the heat, but from the energy. Um, I don't know what that was, but the, that building had a lot of energy in it. The ceilings in the dressing room area were really low. So, you know, the building was really old and it felt like slaves had been, been in it. That's what I felt. And, you know, being a person who's very connected to my blackness, to my Africanness, to my African-Americanness, it was a lot of energy. So the show was really special. In fact, my musical director, Kevin Randolph, said that might that might have been my favorite show because we took everything we'd been rehearsing, threw it out the window, but brought all of that practice to bear. And we just had a special night. And then we traveled to Boston and then had a day off and then we had a show in Boston that was lovely. Again, I wore my white dress. <laughs> I wore my boots, not my flip flops because it was wonderful. And, you know, the show was special because our background singer, Maya Dyson, is a recent Berkeley graduate. And she saw me in concert there just in 2016. And now she's singing with me. And the president of Berkeley came and he left me the most beautiful text message. I'm going to ask him if I can share that with you all and put that on my Instagram page as well. Um, but the show was just alive. Oh, and one of my favorite, I got chills thinking about it. One of my favorite moments was at the end of the show. We always closed the show with the song Worthy. And a pregnant woman came down to the front of the stage. and She just stood there. And so I grabbed her hand and sang Worthy to her. And I said, are you having a girl? And she told me the, the, the girl's name. I don't remember what the baby's name was, but we all sang it to the baby. And it was just so... It was so sweet and the audience was so attentive and the room was beautiful and it was just everything. I remember getting to Boston and being annoyed by finding out that the show wasn't sold out, but it didn't matter because it felt sold out, just full and alive. And Maya sang a solo that night that was so good. I'm so proud of you, Maya, if you're listening. And then we get to Portland, Maine on June 5th. Never been to Maine, never been to Portland. We get there, I'm mad as hell at the hotel, whole thing. But something beautiful has happened because in Boston, I call my godmother. And that's not true. In Troy, New York, I call my godmother and I tell her we only have, Troy, New York was June 2nd. We had until June 9th. But you may recall, my voice started going out May 26th in Detroit. My voice really started going out 
freaking May 20th in Austin, Texas, and it was out out by May 26th. So now we get to Troy, New York. It's June 2nd. My voice is tired. I'm tired. I'm wearing my summer dress on stage. I'm pushing through. The shows are lovely, which is beautiful, but also this challenging because when the audience is that engaged, I have to be that engaged. So I'm giving energy from places that I don't have energy in. I'm loving it, though. This is not a complaint. Just telling you how it is. So we get to Troy, New York, June 2nd, and I call my godmother and I tell her I'm struggling and I need you. My godmother is an acupuncturist and a massage therapist and just an all-around encyclopedia of health practices. So she meets me in Boston. And so before the Boston show, she does acupuncture and massage on me. We do that through all the shows. This is how I make it through the tour. So Boston is wonderful. I have a day off. I go to the steam room. I love it. And then June 5th, Portland, Maine. It's, you know, we get there. It's rainy. The hotel sucks. I'm mad. I'm tired. I wear my summer dress on stage. And I'm especially upset about this show because it has the lowest attendance. And I always tell the people who book me, if the attendance, if the attendance is low, let's cancel the show. But... It was 65% full and that worked for them. I was mad because that doesn't work for me. But with my godmother there, I'm able to get up on my feet and we have this wonderful experience. We go to this shop that has lots of handmade crafts from all the artists in Maine. So that sets the tone for the day. I love it. I buy this very random glass mortar and pestle. Handmade, clear, beautiful, thick glass mortar and pestle. I wish I had a picture of it. I'm on vacation now and the mortar and pestle is at home. So I can't show you the picture now, but this is what I buy. Random purchase, but it's gorgeous. And um, we get to the show. And again, back to the regions of the country. Really like the most liberal regions of the country I find when I tour are the Northeast and the Northwest. And so we get to the Northeast and these are my people. We have a VIP meet and greet, which again, I'm going to get into that. Matter of fact, let's get into it now. The VIP meet and greet are tickets that were sold before the show while it was in the first month of the tickets being on sale. So you couldn't buy it. Um, you know, you couldn't buy a VIP meet and greet at the show. You had to wait until you had to buy them in advance. OK, so we get there. I have nine VIP meet and greet <laughs> nine. And I'm laughing because all the other cities I had 65 to 100. Almost every city was 100 on the rare occasion, mostly up here in the northeast. There were, you know, 60, 65, like Troy, New York had 65. New Haven had 60 like that. But we get to Portland, Maine, there's nine meet and greet. The house is only 65% sold and I'm mad about it. But then we get out onto the stage and the energy is so lovely because these are my people. Very liberal, artists, spiritual people, thinkers. And it's so funny, the funniest thing. I would say this is one of the funniest things of the tour. Troy, New York and Portland, Maine both did this. I do this thing in my songversation where I tell the audience, I want to invite you to refresh your posture when we get about halfway through because I want them to remember themselves and to bring their energy back into themselves because a songversation really is not about an audience coming to see me, but about us being there to be with each other. 
So I tell the audience in Portland, Maine, I want to invite you to refresh your posture. Normally when I say this, you hear a little bit of rustling of seats and you hear people taking some breaths and a little bit. And sometimes I have to say it twice where I'm like, hey, I said, refresh your posture because some people don't know what to do with the invitation like that during a concert. And so in Portland, Maine and Troy, New York, I say, I want to invite you to refresh your posture. And everybody stands up and yawns and stretches, arms in the air. They talk to each other. Some people go into the aisle and stretch and bend down and yoga stretches, all kind of stuff. It lasts for a good like 60 seconds, like an intermission to a concert. And it's so funny. And so when Troy and Portland, Maine did this, I started doing it, too. I'm like, I love to stretch. It's one of my saving graces. So I go into a stretch, too, and everybody settles down and Portland, Maine. It really was lovely. And having a small VIP meet and greet like that was nice, too, because there were so few people that we let everybody come up onto the stage and we took our pictures. And I had a moment to chat with everyone. And that was nice, too. And the show was just so profound and so lovely and so special and that I can't I look I was going to say I can't wait. I can't wait because I do not feel like (laughs) seven days post tour. Like I want to go back out yet. But I look forward to going back to Portland, Maine. And in fact, I want to go back and I want to go on vacation to explore the town because I loved it. And I loved the show. I had on my flip flops and my red dress and it it all worked out. It really did. Um, The next day was a festival for the Capital Jazz. And it was challenging for me because the audience was... um, cool but you know the audience was cool but they were also kind of cool like they were not super warm or super open they felt really far away so they made me work hard but I got everybody rocking (laughs) at one point I stopped the show and said I think I was singing I'm not my hair and I said hold on a second y'all we took a bus through the night because I want you to see how this is happening we had New Haven Connecticut on the first Troy, New York on the 2nd, a day off. Boston and Portland, Maine, the 4th and 5th, a day off. We had Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How did I forget that? I skipped the show. June 7th was Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it was a citywide festival. And Pittsburgh shocked me. It shocked me by how beautiful it was. It shocked me by how open the audience was. It shocked me because when I stopped singing I Am Light, the audience kept singing. There were so many things about that show that I was so into. And again, I was a little bit disappointed beforehand because I wasn't going to be able to have my screen. One of the fundamental um, components of a songversation is the screen. And we couldn't have it because it was a festival and it just didn't even matter. And in fact, I'm going to put up a little bit of footage of this building in Pittsburgh, this incredible building. I know it doesn't have anything to do with the show, but I want you to see this building. (laughs) And also just Pittsburgh was lovely to me. The setting was beautiful. It was packed. There were a lot of children there. I love that. And we sang all the way as the sun went down and I loved it. And the, oh my gosh, the newspaper there wrote the best article. I'm going to try to put that on my Instagram as well. And then we got to Columbia, Maryland, which was the capital jazz. And like I said, it was cool, but they were also kind of cool, cold. And so we get to the song, I Am Not My Hair, and we're singing it. And I stop the audience and I say, we took a bus through the night because we did from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Columbia. We get to the hotel, we rest a little bit, we get dressed, we go to our show. 
We took a bus through the night to get here to y'all, and this is not any old song. This is a hit, and I want you to put your hands together, and we about to have a night together, and we about to have a conversation. I just start preaching, and the next thing I knew, everybody was rocking and clapping and dancing in the aisles, and we had a wonderful time, but y'all made me work hard, capital jazz, and my voice was tired because, you know, we got one more show, and so we get to New York, get into the hotels early in the morning, get some sleep. And then we have our show in New York. I have a hundred meet and greet, which I love, but of course I'm thinking maybe this can be one of the days where there'll be like 60 because <laughs> I'm tired and it's the last show. But something kicked in and my voice was pristine. My godmother worked on me. I had acupuncture. I had some good food before the show. I just... We get to sound check and my voice is opening up and my hair is cute and my mom is coming into town and it just, it was magical. The last show was magical. The audience was screaming and standing up and I thought they were just happy to see me. And then they did that the whole show. I had to ask the audience to sit down, but then I also told them, if you don't want to sit, don't sit. And again, we're in New York and I've sold out Radio City Music Hall before. I've sold out this venue, The Beacon, before, but it's not sold out. And I'm a little bit disappointed, but I look in the house and it's really close to sold out. And there are a lot of people in there and they're just were rocking and screaming and singing and talking and listening and loving on the band so hard and the band were loving on each other so hard because we had just been through this whole thing 40 days and 40 nights together and I have to tell you there were a lot of wonderful things that happened that night but then there was this auspicious moment because Roberta Flack who was one of my heroes comes to the show you may or may not know I sang for in honor of her at the Black Girls Rock in 2016. And she had um, some health issues, so she's in a wheelchair now. But she still came to my show. And they told me she might not stay all night, you know. But she stayed. And so my assistant brings a letter onto the stage and says, it just says, Roberta Flack. I'm like, okay. So the show was getting ready to end. And I literally... This is only my second time doing this during the tour. The first time, the first show in Jacksonville, I screamed and laughed and jumped off stage. And then this last show, I screamed and clapped and laughed and danced off stage. And I grabbed my jacket and went right out the back door, right into the outside reception area. And Roberta Flack is out there. And I talked to her for a while. The whole band comes out. Everybody meets her. And she says, India has all the handsome men in my band. They are handsome men. And then, of course, there's Maya, who's freaking gorgeous. You got to see her. She's gorgeous. And, and that's, <laughs> that's what happened. I, I don't know how else to say, but the show was wonderful. And then that night, I didn't go to sleep. I packed all my stuff. I left on a 6 a.m. flight. I got home to Nashville and I felt like I was in a time warp. Like I didn't know what to do with myself. So I was up all day, up all night. 5 a.m. the next day, the bus pulls into town. My assistant, my tour manager and uh, my security, they bring everything up from the bus. My assistant and I look at each other and say, we should just put everything away now. So six o'clock in the morning from six to nine, we put everything away. I opened all of my gifts, which my VIP meet and greet people bought me so much gifts and so many cards and jewelry and books. And I have a picture of the stack of books like my VIP meet and greet. These people be writing some books. My people are, are thinkers. And I love that. 
we open everything. There's some old food in places that it doesn't need to be. So I'm glad we do that. And then by 11 o'clock, she and I just kind of talk and laugh about the tour. And she leaves at noon and gets on her flight. And I finally got some sleep that night. And then I just felt like restless. And so I did some tour closeout stuff and I left for vacation. And that's where I am now. I'm in Washington State at a place called Snoqualmie Falls. So before I get too far into that, let's go ahead and get into that in this next segment. <laughs> so I've learned something about myself through this tour. And that is that one of my sweet spots in life is working hard and then getting a good rest afterwards. I haven't been on tour since 2013. And you know, undertaking this endeavor was exactly what I wanted to do. I did it with some fear in the beginning. And then, and then I just was in it and it was a joy. And then like I told you, about a month in it got hard. But it was worth it. At the end of every single show, especially in that hard week, I could honestly say to myself, I'm glad I'm out here. This is one of the things I feel I was born to do. I'm in my flow. I'm in my sweet spot. That was amazing. I would say something like that after all the shows. And with so much gratitude for my life and that I get to do this. Singing and songwriting is my joy. Performing is another one of my joys. Touring is difficult. But like Anita Baker taught me, she said, don't call it tour, call it being in concert. <laughs> so being in concert is one of my joys. Sometimes the, um, the movement gets to be too much for me because I, I absorb a lot of energy in the environments I go into. But the shows are worth it. And the rest is so sweet. And so now I'm in the Pacific Northwest, which is one of my favorite regions of the country. Speaking of regions and how they feel. I love it here. I love the freshness. I love the air. I love the grandness of the natural beauty. And I'm at a place called Snoqualmie Falls in, in um, Snow, Snoqualmie, Washington. Or is it called Snohomish? I forgot what it's called up here. Either way... There is a lodge at Snoqualmie Falls. It is this massive waterfall and there's a river leading up to it and the hotel is on the river. So I'm able to sleep every night to the sound of a river, raging river and waterfall outside my room. And I love it. And I got to see the full moon last night and I love it. And there's a wonderful spa here with the steam room and I love steam rooms. I love them. Um, I always have, but that's one of the things I've learned on this tour, that the steam room really relaxes my nervous system. And that's the part of me that needs the love when I'm on tour. My nervous system gets taxed. And so um, being in the steam room as much as I want to, and then coming back into my hotel room and turning on my electric fireplace with the raging river outside and the beautiful white bedspread and the nice shower with the two shower heads and 
my rosemary oil and my yoga mat. I I'm resting. And I, you know, I, you know, when you're tired, you fantasize about sleep. Like, I just want some sleep. And so I kept saying, I'm going to go to the Pacific Northwest and just sleep. <laughs> but I'm learning that sleep is not what I wanted because I, I'm still wired a certain way. I can't sleep more than four or five, six hours. And also the mattress is not mine. So kind of uncomfortable, whatever. So it's not sleep. But what I needed and what I'm getting is rest rest for my nervous system, some rest for my mind. My mind is still moving, but I'm able to think about other things than tour, and I'm happy about that, which is why I'm doing this Songversation Worthy Tour today. I just want to get it all off my mind and off my heart. And um, it's restful. And for me, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone else, but I feel like it is a common thing for human beings. Nature is effortlessly aligning. It's just like you get aligned by being out in nature. Just go out in it. And my nervous system feels calmer. My mind is able to work in a more clear way. Just breathing the air, the movement. I just feel better, aligned, balanced. Balance might be a better word. Nature is effortlessly balancing for me. And I think for a lot of people, even just going out, sitting outside, you know, which is why it feels good to go outside on your lunch break. Nature. And so I'm here and I'm resting. I'm getting some rest and I'm really making sense of a dream come true. And the dream is not just that I got to go on tour. The dream is how the tour felt and who I am becoming and that I was able to bring the best version of myself as a teacher and a performer and a thinker and a speaker, an orator and a singer and a songwriter to stage. I think this is the best I've ever been. And I brought it all to stage. Even those first nightmares that made me feel like maybe I couldn't do this. I brought my best self to stage and I lived <laughs> my best life on the road. I've never had a more joyful time on tour ever. I look forward to being even better and to having even more of a joyful time. The tour will continue the West Coast in the fall. And I'm looking forward to that too. I love being on the West Coast. I like being on the West Coast that time of year. And we're not doing nearly as many shows because I'm not doing that again. I want to continue to tour um, maybe for the next six months, but I want to do it in spurts, maybe 10, 10 days at a time. So... That's my story. I thank you for listening. I don't know what that meant to you or what you got out of it. But as I always say, I choose one of my songs. I riff on that song. Simple as that. And I know you'll get what you're meant to get from it. And so I have to admit, I have chills right now. It felt good to say all of that. Um, let me think. I feel like there are just a couple more things that I want to say about the tour. Um, Let's talk about the VIP experience for a second. <laughs> um, I thought that the VIP experience was going to make me so tired that at some point I would just have to tell everybody, here's your money back. I can't do anymore. For me, um, interactions with people, when it starts to be too many people, I just get tired. Like that type of exhaustion that does not need sleep, but needs rest. 
So I just thought to myself, I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to do my best. That's all any of us can ever do. I'm going to just do my best. And I did every single show. And I realized that there's a way that you can shift your mind. The way, a way that I can shift my mind. Where the interactions with people are not draining, but nourishing. I mean, there's a lot to be said for the interactions having been controlled. So it wasn't 100 people trying to pull out their cell phones and trying to take nine pictures because one was blurry and just standing all around me with people in the back and the front and the side and rushing me and stuff like that. It wasn't like that. It was orderly. There was a line. We had a camera person. I got to say a brief hello to some people. Some people just wanted to reach out and hug me and I would let them do it. Not everyone wanted. I think a lot of people wanted to but didn't try, which I appreciate because I can't hug everyone. But some of the people who just would reach out, I would hug them. Some people had really quick stories to tell me. It was sweet. They would give me gifts. We would take our picture and it would be the next person's turn. And I, I'm estimating that I took 2,500 pictures or something like that during this tour. Before the show. Before the show. And literally, I could not stop smiling Every single group of VIP meet and greet, they just make me want to smile. The fact that they wanted to meet me that much. And then the things they would say and how they would be smiling and the energy they would have and the excitement. I would just smile for a straight hour. <laughs> and I've learned about myself that I don't mind the interactions with fans and people. What drains me is when it's not controlled. Like if somebody just walks up to me and screams like, ah! like I get I get scared because I'm just walking down the street and someone screams at the top of their lungs. I have, like I just said, a sensitive nervous system and I'm sensitive to energy. So when somebody screams out of nowhere, that's going to put a little, a little bit of a strain on me. And so if that happens too many times during a day. It's not that I am complaining. It's not that I don't love the affection. Just like on a real biological level, it's hard. It's taxing. But when it's controlled and we can just be together... I like that. I love it. And so I'm looking forward to doing some gatherings this year where we can just be together in a sacred space where everybody can be excited. We can get our pictures out of the way and then we can just talk and be together and do guided meditations and, you know, sharing stories and just being together. I loved it so much. So I'm grateful for that. And um, I think this is a perfect time for a closing affirmation. I say this affirmation for myself and for everyone listening. It is my highest prayer that we all know that we are worthy. I did this tour, this body of work, because this is the journey I've been on. All my life, really. And I'm turning a corner with it where I'm learning to remember more often. There have been whole eras, whole years of my life where I've forgotten that I'm worthy because of the way that the outside world interacts with my internal world. But I'm getting to a place where I'm remembering to remember and I'm forgetting to forget. <laughs> so may we all remember to remember and forget to forget that we're worthy. My favorite definition of the word worthy is deserving of regard and respect. And who isn't? No matter what the current moving target that the world is presenting to us is, you know, no matter what that moving target is, doesn't matter. 
society's ideals do not equal up to your worthiness. You're worthy and you're significant and you matter because you exist. We all are. Our worthiness is a birthright. And this is my prayer, that we all know this about ourselves. And that in the moments when we forget, that we easily remember. And that we get to a point where we don't forget anymore. Because the more clear, the more sure, the more innate, the more, um, what's the word, natural it is that we see ourselves as worthy, the more powerful we are and the more potent we are. And this world needs all hands on deck of powerful, potent, effective people to continue to heal our world and to shape our world and to shape the evolution of humanity in a positive direction. We need us. We're all we got. We need you. We need ourselves. And so I guess I'm going to do something a little bit different this episode. I'm going to play this song at the end. So this song, this is my closing affirmation and my prayer. I love you all. Thank you for being here. And until next time, may you clearly hear the song in your heart. I like that. I know exactly what you're thinking. I've had those thoughts a million times. I can see the question that's behind your eyes. Oh, you're searching for your peace of mind. Listen up to this truth You are me and I am you Every one of us is worthy Baby, girl, worthy woman Every one of us is worthy I know your life, I felt your pain I know your joys and your shames Sometimes it feels like life walks over you like you're a penny on the ground But either on the ground or in your purse The smallest piece still holds its worth Every one of us is worthy Baby, girl, worthy woman Every one of us is worthy Baby, girl, worthy woman Every one of us is worthy Worthy of love Worthy of life Worthy of saying no when something don't feel right This is a song for you For all the ups and downs that life will put you through So listen up to this truth You are me and I and you Every one of us is worthy Yeah, Baby girl, worthy woman Every one of us is worthy Baby girl, worthy woman Every one of us is worthy Baby girl, worthy woman Every one of us is worthy Baby girl, worthy woman Every one of us is worthy Every one of us is worthy Every one of us is worthy